0: You are listening to the Mental Gains Podcast. I'm host, Matt Russell. We're going to hear from Verna here in just a moment. We have a special episode for you guys in that, really, it's two episodes in one. Both parts are about depression. The first one is titled, Running in Vegetables. And I sit down with Chris Bergman. We work together at the Connection Center. And really, it's just two guys talking and sometimes joking about depression. And in the second part, titled, Depression Just Existing, Chris talks with Verna where it's more of a serious conversation where they get into Chris's childhood, his treatment, suicidal attempts, and the things that keep him alive, really. And so we'll just get right into it. Here is the first part, depression, running, and vegetables. During the early part of this Podcast. Um, when yeah. we were talking about, we're going to have this opportunity with WGTE. We're going to be making podcasts with the clients, with the staff, with people in the community. Early on, you said, "Hey, if you do an episode on depression, I'd love to be involved."
1: Yes. Yes. Why? Uh, because I have depression, obviously, mm-hmm. um, and I have lived with it all of my life, and I have a lot to say about it, a lot of thoughts on it. Yeah.
0: Okay. So. So. <laughs> Let's dig in here, and you're in good company because I, my friend, also have depression. Which okay, so when I would tell people, especially at my last job, I wasn't necessarily a peer support specialist like I am here. It was more of like a mentor role. Right. And when I would tell people that I have depression, they'd be like, "What? Whoa, I can't! I can't believe it! Like that's so." Yeah, I love
1: that reaction.
0: Do you get that a lot too?
1: I have. Yeah. I mean, I present a little more. fashion where you could say yeah this person might have depression
0: (laughs) well because our listeners can't see you you mean like because you're wearing black
1: well the long hair okay black yeah the however when i talk to people a lot of times if it comes up Mm -hmm. people are generally surprised unless they've gotten to know me for a while Mm -hmm. um because you know i'm not always in the full state of depression. I think they said my diagnosis was like severe recurring depression. Okay. So I get hit in cycles.
0: Okay. Uh, how often do you cycle? Honestly, I would
1: say every few weeks I get low. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily super, super low like I did when I had to take time off. Right. Um, but it is frequent.
0: You know, we work in community mental health, so we just say to our boss... I need a mental health day. They know yeah. that it's, it's yeah, no, that's, that's fine. That's one nice
1: thing in working in this field is people yeah. understand that yeah. this
0: happens. It's like calling in with, like, I have the cold. I it's have... like, I I need a mental health day. Yeah. And so it's nice that when I do that, you check up on me. How was your weekend? Um, and I like to feel like I do the same thing you for know. you. You do. You do. I do have depression, but that doesn't mean I am the world's leading expert (laughs) on on depression. So I I did some some background um, research here. So it says if your depression, if it lingers for at least two consecutive weeks Mm -hmm. and it affects your ability to work, play, or love, you might have depression. Well, what are the symptoms of depression? Okay, you ready? Go for it. If you have at least five of these symptoms, according to psychiatric guidelines, you qualify for a diagnosis of depression. Low mood, loss of interest in things you usually enjoy, Mm -hmm. changes in appetite, feeling worthless or excessively guilty, sleeping too much or too little, poor concentration, restlessness or slowness, loss of energy, and or recurrent thoughts of suicide. Now, how many of those, uh, as I read each one, were you saying check in your mind? Pretty
1: much. um, I would say some of the most prevalent ones in me. It's like, um, well, lethargy, uh, Mm -hmm. being exhausted for no freaking reason. Mm -hmm. The thoughts of guilt. Invasive thoughts are constant. Um, thoughts of suicide, yes, it mm-hmm. is almost a constant thing. Yeah. Um, and even with my medication, which does help a lot. I never want to be without it again. Um, even with that, I still struggle with all those things mm-hmm. um, frequently. In fact, and I might be getting on a bit of a tangent here. We can we can double no, that. No, tangent you want. away. I, when I was younger and I was not medicated, I think like, the suicidal and guilt thoughts were... And I know this is going to sound like exaggeration. I couldn't go two, three minutes without one. Hmm. And, it, and like, it would stay most of the time.
0: Like, how old are we talking about here?
1: Uh, teen. I would, well, preteens, teenager. Mm-hmm. I would say even into my adulthood for a while.
0: Mm-hmm. And I know from talking with you and... You did attempt suicide at at some point yes. in your life, and we don't have to go into no, that. No,
1: I'm an open book at this point.
0: And how how old was that?
1: Um, that was in my twenties. Okay. And um, you're how old right now? Oh, you're gonna make me
0: tell. Oh, it's not like you're. I'm I'm what thirty two, I think. Okay, so in your twenties, you attempted suicide. Yes. And was this what caused you to get treatment, therapy, medication? no. Okay.
1: Surprisingly. Things just kind of continued on for a while until something happened in a therapist appointment. We can get to that a little bit later because mm-hmm. um, I don't know if you want to touch more on the suicide incident or if you want to go on. To... I just
0: went two guys talking about depression. OK,
1: cool. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun when you phrase it that way. Um, so the actual point where I went into treatment, I, I went to see my therapist because I, I was getting a therapist at that point, but I wasn't getting like medication and stuff. And I went to see my therapist, but my therapist was out. And I ended up talking to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And I was the open book that I normally was to my therapist that knew me. Mm-hmm. I guess I guess it'd be more accurate to say I let something slip that I shouldn't have or should have. I mean, yeah. I say shouldn't have in that sort of mindset that I was in then.
0: You were as protective as what you usually were.
1: Right. Yeah. But basically, I let it slip that I was having suicidal thoughts and things like that. And he did what he should do. Mm-hmm. And what I'm grateful that he did even though I wasn't at the time. Um, and he called and had me basically picked up and taken to be put in a hospital.
0: You were committed to a committed, psychiatric
1: correct. unit. Of, I don't think I was actually pink-slipped. It was basically I was told, you're either going to get pink-slipped or you're going willingly. Choose. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but I went to the hospital then, and it did me a lot of good.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, that's when I got first put on medication. And the therapist that I had been working with for all that time was so good. She really had me thinking about things in different ways and, like, actually working on myself in ways that I wouldn't have been able to without her.
0: Hmm. So, you know, just hearing you talk, it's interesting how varying depression can be for different people. Yeah. Like, the ones that you pointed out as. You know, the feelings of guilt, the recurrent thoughts uh-huh. of suicide, those are probably the two that I struggle the least with, where the the loss of interest in things that I usually enjoy, the low energy, the sleeping, the changes, those yeah. are the things that that kind of connect with me. When I'm in,
1: like, the main cycles, mm-hmm. I, I'm like, those those symptoms, the losses of energy, the loss of, like I said, lethargy is a big one. You've seen how I am. Yeah. Yeah, I, I carry myself in a certain way a lot of times. When I go deeper into my cycles, that's when I experience those symptoms more.
0: Okay, understood. Yeah. And
1: like, and it's like this, and I'm, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about here, that feeling that the, the immense amount of willpower it even takes to move your body.
0: Yeah, gosh. And I brought it up with you this morning because we knew we were recording this at 4 o'clock. I shared with you... This I watched this speaker. It was a TED Talk, a guy named Andrew Solomon. The TED Talk, if you want to check it out, is Depression, The Secret We Share. Uh, on YouTube, it has 6 million views. He talks about the opposite of depression is not happiness. It's vitality. Mm-hmm. And that hit me like a ton of bricks because when I am feeling depressed, it is... The physical sensation of it is like, you know, I don't drink or do drugs anymore. It's like I've been drugged. It's it's physically hard to get out of bed. Yeah. That that there's just no motivation.
1: And it's it's the motivation. But also, like you said, physically, it's physically difficult to move your body. Mm -hmm. That's been my experience, at least.
0: Well, and I think that's a big misconception where I I almost don't want to say this because even people who don't have depression fall on hard times uh-huh. and they deserve to be heard, you know? Yes, yes. I, um, But there is... There's a difference between feeling depressed and having depression. Correct. And I think that's what a lot of people who don't suffer from depression, maybe they don't understand that aspect of it. Like like describing depression to somebody who's not depressed, it almost sounds like hyperbole. It does s- saying that it, I am almost physically incapable of getting out of bed.
1: It does, and like I I know I've had several conversations with people, and like I don't want to be that guy. Like you were saying, that's like I don't want to dismiss somebody having problems. But when I hear somebody say, "Oh, I've been so depressed lately," and yes, they they're they're having a miserable time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's almost like I want to say, okay do you think about what you're saying Mm
0: -hmm.
1: it's like somebody hyperactive saying oh i'm just completely manic Mm -hmm. you don't have mania
0: yeah yeah there (laughs) there are two separate things one's a medical diagnosis and the other is a mood Uh, and
1: and it's fair to use those words i think but also there's a part of me that does get a little frustrated with that
0: yeah i i agree and i I don't know. I, it's like it's funny because I don't know if like us talking about this should be included in a mental health podcast, but they it is like I don't know. It is something that I think about pretty often. Yeah, and we've heard this before. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, it takes the average person suffering from a mental illness over ten years to ask for help. That's wild, dude. It is wild, but if, if people are. Articulating that maybe they're feeling like they have depression. They absolutely deserve to be heard and look into it. But for people who (laughs) have the diagnosis and people are kind
1: of using it, it's like when people just kind of use it in casual conversation.
0: Mm. And maybe they're just trying to relate with you.
1: They're trying to relate with you or they're just, you know, they're using it as a word that they're just kind of trying to say I've been sad. Yeah depressed and sad aren't the same thing
0: yeah just like the opposite of depressed is not happy right so how long were you struggling with the reality of depression before you got help
1: well i know as a kid i was put on paxil for a while um, paxil
0: team right here baby
1: yeah paxil didn't really work well for me okay i know and i didn't understand my symptoms at the time at all okay i was just like i but you your know, when parents or when guardian school, found
0: some, saw something in you Right, that my suggested. parents eventually
1: had me see somebody. Okay. But I don't know the whole story of how that came to be, but I know, like, I would just not want to be at school, which, you know, sounds like a normal thing for a kid, but it would just be this draining fear, this constant anxiety, this fatigue, this, like, I, I would freak out in the mornings when I knew I had to get ready Mm -hmm. and I I would be so stressed about going. And the interesting thing about that is even today, like I still have those same symptoms in the mornings when I have to get ready for work. Mm. It's the same. I can't start this day feeling the the energy to get out of bed, but also anxiety that comes with it. Only now I understand
0: it. (laughs) So I'm able to work through it. Mm -hmm. Does depression run in your family?
1: Yes. Um, I'm not going to elaborate on that just because. Sure. Uh, Um, Mine too. Yeah. Yeah. uh, It's pretty common, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the majority of, like, a certain part of my lineage has it, but I'm not 100% on that. Okay. Well, you know what they say about the Irish, though? (laughs) They have a deep sadness.
0: A deep... I'm not even going to try to do the... (laughs) Well, and also drinking problems and soft teeth. (laughs) I'm just joking. I mean, I am Irish and I am an alcoholic, but <laughs> so maybe well, there's some I mean, truth. That's, that that's I that's
1: also a thing with depression, right? Uh, when you're feeling good, your humor's dark.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and you are—you're in a long-term committed relationship. Your your partner is obviously aware of of your yes. background with depression. What are some things that, maybe not her, but just a loved one in general? What do they do that makes you feel supported when you're having symptoms? The main thing is I know they'll listen. Mm, mm-hmm.
1: um, but also I know when I do need left alone, they'll leave me alone. Because there are some times that I just have to ride out the symptoms. There's nothing I can do but just go through with
0: it. Mm-hmm. When I'm depressed, I don't want to be around Anybody, mm. a lot of people when they have their phone off for a half a day, and they turn it on and they have texts from friends and and family is calling. It's it's oh gosh, I, I haven't heard from Caleb in so long. I'm so glad he texted me. But for maybe people like us, you look at your phone and you think, oh my God, there's so many people I need to get uh-huh. back to. And I do feel guilty about that. I do feel guilty about. Being in a, in a a depressive slump and not checking in with my parents, um, my friends, right. that's what I feel guilty about. But I don't think I feel embarrassed about being depressed. Do you ever feel embarrassed to suffer from depression?
1: No, not anymore. Um, I would say when I was younger, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't really feel embarrassed. I mean, it's a disease... It sucks to have, but it's not something to be ashamed about.
0: And you can h- lead a fairly normal life. Well, yeah. I don't know if I would call either one of us normal.
1: I mean, I will say housekeeping is extra- extremely difficult. Thank you. Um, It really is, because, like, I-, I heard one of our members here once refer to them as depression piles. Depression that I piles. And it is so true, mm. like stupid little things that would be easy to take care of Mm -hmm. but you just don't have the will to do it dishes piling up here there maybe not even in the kitchen they're piling up or clothes that's just in a pile rather than taken care of water bottles ending up in one area and then like when my head starts to get clearer i can clean up some of it but man it is Mm -hmm. so difficult to find the willpower to get things done and it's and like i uh, sorry. I it just,
0: seems like other people don't str- some sometimes do. that's what I feel guilty about like like other people don't seem to struggle to take care of themselves in the way that I do. Right. I'm just I'm not what you would describe um as being a well-adjusted person. Like it takes work to be uh not happy but uh grateful. It takes work to live a healthier lifestyle, make healthy choices. Right. And I think a lot... My background as being an alcoholic has a lot to do with that, too. You're talking about the depression piles um, in my my drinking days, especially towards the end. It's just like I would be in a trench made of beer bottles and liquor bottles. (laughs) Like, I I would have like... Would it actually
1: like pile up that high, or are you exaggerating with your arm
0: gestures? When my... Gosh, the, my, la- to... my last night of drinking, yeah. uh, which would have been June 5th, 2020, my dad and stepmom came over. I called them and said, I, I need help. Uh, they took out seven bags of alcohol bottles, um, wine bottles, beer bottles, liquor bottles. So seven bags worth of trash, all <laughs> That's full of... A
1: significant amount.
0: Yeah, so my <laughs> my arm gestures weren't really... Um, an exaggeration.
1: Okay, yeah. And for anybody listening, he did kind of like a bird flap, <laughs> putting his arms at level. Thank you, thank you. Um,
0: but I, yeah, I, maybe I am embarrassed about that. Uh, I mean, yeah,
1: but I mean that's part of it. That's part of the disease, right? The de- should, yeah, depression and alcoholism combined. You have Bob. <laughs> it makes sense.
0: <laughs> well, I think the depression came first, and I self medicated. Yeah, that stands to reason. Yeah. Um, so when when a member comes in uh, talking about uh, depression, anxiety, mm-hmm. do you feel like you can give them better advice than maybe somebody who doesn't have a background in that can?
1: I don't know. I mean, I would say I can relate to them better, if Mm. nothing else. I can legitimately feel where they're coming from. Right. So, as far as advice goes, it's hard to say, but I know that I, you know what, yeah. Yeah, I do. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm being a little arrogant in that regard, I don't know, but yeah, I do feel like I can.
0: Mm -hmm. I think you probably had the experience where, I'm not going to make it over tonight, I'm Got some symptoms going on. And then you get a list of, well, here's the things that you should do, Chris. This will help you. You need to work out. You need to eat better. Oh, I love that You need that to one. take yeah, better care those. of yourself. Um, what is your response when you get um, maybe a list of things that will help with your depression?
1: I shut down. Yeah. I don't care. I've heard it all before. Mm-hmm. Um, and while there is something to be said that, yes, taking better care of yourself will give you a little more it, a lot of these people don't understand there, there's actually neurological issues going on that can't be fixed by running or mm-hmm. vegetables mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> don't get me wrong running and vegetables are still good for you i'm not <laughs> denying that and they're good for your mental health
0: that's going to be the name of this episode running and vegetables <laughs> <laughs> depression colon running and vegetables
1: but yeah, it's still good for you. It's good for your mental health, but it won't cure it.
0: Okay, so when a member comes in, you are not giving them that advice. No, because I'm... Not... You're just... <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Uh, you're, you're just you're just listening to them.
1: A lot of times I'm listening. I relate with them. I, and I found that there's been a lot of times where people have talked to me about these symptoms. And the fact that I've been able to put into words some things they haven't been able to describe. Mm. There's been a few times where there's been like this look on their face like, holy crap, you actually know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, I guess just like, making somebody feel like they're not alone. Right. And you said sometimes you just have to write it out and your partner is good at knowing when- Well,
1: I I mean, she's learning about it, but at the same time, I've also told her straightforward, like she wants to help. Obviously she wants to help. I'm literally laying on the floor and not moving. Yeah. And- uh, I'm not. I'm not joking when I said that. That's been a situation, and she wants to help. And I've told her straight up, there's nothing that can be done. I have to just, yeah, suffer through it for bear, now. Bear
0: through it. Mm-hmm. See, I I spend most of my time outside of work alone, and so it's it's pretty easy for me um, when I'm in. In that I need space and I need to to deal deal with this on my own. It's tougher for me when it gets to the point where there's no amount of being alone. That's going to fix this. I need to get out amongst the living, breathing world. And, and for me, since I don't live with somebody, that's, that's like when AA meetings are big. That's when I contact my sponsor. I'm real close with my parents. When you need to communicate With the outside world, Mm -hmm. when you need to get outside of your own head, outside of your apartment, what are the types of things you do?
1: Well, the first person that I talk to is usually my partner. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She's always available. But if, for whatever reason, she isn't there or something, I often call my father. Yeah. He he has been supportive of me for so long with this stuff. Mm -hmm. I feel bad. (laughs) I honestly feel bad. Some of the phone calls that I used to make to him, Like, when my depression was just at its worst, it was just basically him sitting through me talking almost in circles about wanting to kill myself.
0: Mm, mm -hmm.
1: And I can't imagine, as a parent, having to hear that constantly.
0: Imagine that would be difficult. And,
1: like, I would say, you know, like, things like, I don't understand, there's no light. It was was a lot of stereotypical things, but he just had to sit through it and keep reminding me. And... My goodness, the patience that man has had with me over this is just amazing.
0: <laughs> That's awesome
1: that you have that. <laughs> I, I I can legitimately say I would have had probably significant, a significantly higher chance of um, having a successful attempt because there would have been more of them mm-hmm. had it not
0: been for him. Yeah. When when you were expecting to sit down and talk about depression, what are some things that went through your head that maybe we haven't talked about yet?
1: Well, I mean, we've been talking about symptoms a lot, mm-hmm. but there's one that always strikes me. Okay. And it's always interesting to describe because any time I've described it, and we'll see how you react, but oftentimes I get a, that is so accurate. I know that feeling. I have likened walking while well, in a severe depressive state, to walking through a swamp. Colors are dimmer. It's hard to move your body. And it's almost like there's this miasma. Miasma?
0: Yeah, yeah. I like that. you're that.
1: trying to push through constantly.
0: See, I, just that, yeah, you, you said it a number of times now, that lethargy, that uh, cloudiness... Sometimes I feel like I'm looking through the world through a dirty windshield. Mm -hmm. Like, things just aren't crystal clear.
1: And yeah, and that's one of the funnier things to talk about or try to explain. Like, especially to the, um, you need to run and eat vegetables people. (laughs) Um, If you try to explain to them, no, uh, color is literally draining. Mm -hmm. Colors are dampening. I'm, I'm literally having these symptoms of the world is darker
0: And now here's Verna with part two. Depression just existing.
2: To your recollection, how long have you had depression?
1: Since I was about as young as I can remember. um, I know that I would see, you know, the at-school therapist, and I know at some point... My parents took me to an actual psychiatrist. Um, It's hard for me to put the timeline together because I was tiny. Mm -hmm. Um, But I remember talking to someone, and I remember being put on Paxil when I was young. Um, I want to... I can't
2: remember exactly when I was. Okay. If you can think back, do you think that there were any catalysts or causes of your depression? Um, Now...
1: I would say for getting as bad as it eventually became, yeah, I think there's some major stuff there and I can get into that. Um, but as far as when I was super young, I think the symptoms just started manifesting just like I would be at the playground when I was in, you know, the first few grades. Um, and I would just sulk alone. I didn't really want to talk to people and I thought I just missed home. I thought, That's all it was. And I just was constantly down. Um, I would even wake up in the morning and like as a little kid, I'd have fits because I was so stressed out, anxious and such about going to school. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember, and I think I mentioned this before, but I remember like that, that feeling every morning before I'd have to go in and even, even to this day, I still sometimes, I still often get that feeling in the morning before even having to go to work or anything. Mm -hmm. It's just... Right. right. But as far as the catalysts you are talking about and the worsening of my symptoms, um, there was a long stretch of time where we lived out in the country and, you know, my dad was at work. And honestly, for the most part, I was just kind of alone all day, every day. And during which I know my symptoms definitely got worse.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I mean... Yeah, the only time I'd get to interact is when he came home. I didn't didn't go to school or anything because my symptoms were already going nuts at school. Mm -hmm. Um, So that, I believe, is the reason I was pulled out of school for a while.
2: No socialization, isolation. Very,
1: very minimal.
2: Right. I mean, ideally, when you were younger, it could have been just genetics or it could have been brain chemistry issues or something like that. Um, but then it got worse because of the isolation and not having socialized, you know, normal socialization and and friends and peers and, and stuff like that. Okay. How has your depression changed over the years? How has it morphed?
1: How has it morphed? Okay. Let's see. Are we going to do like a timeline here? Little me, teenager me and things like that. Okay. Little me. I kind of already covered that. Um, I want to say teenage me, especially while going through, you know, the isolation, we can call it that, I suppose. Um, it was a lot of just sitting in my head, not wanting to do anything anymore. I would try to find outlets. Like I'd go outside and just try to find ways to entertain myself or something. But, um, I'd say the biggest sort of morph happened. Well, there was a long period of time where I was helping my dad and we were basically doing construction and, I know during that phase of my life, I started to experience like um dissociation, mm-hmm. and because effectively we were working, we'd go back and he was and still is one of the closest friends in my life too, in addition to my father, and I enjoyed spending time with him, but I was still just down the rabbit hole, so to speak. I was dissociating it was hard to tell whether I was awake or asleep for a long period of time. Mm-hmm and i want to say that lasted quite possibly over a year and eventually we moved and i decided to get a ged and go to college i would say i was kind of on a upswing at that point and my symptoms were getting lesser because i was going out i was doing stuff
2: so you didn't so. go to school from like first grade until like till
1: college i want to say second or third maybe i know there was a brief period where they put me back into middle school after we moved but then i got pulled out and mm-hmm. it really is difficult for me to say exactly what happened mm-hmm. yes so i was going and i started taking these ged classes i'd walk there and I, I kind of started to socialize a bit more with people um and it was definitely an upturn moment and then you know i took the GED, passed, and um, applied for college because I really wanted to get out. And obviously, going into college was a huge change for me um, because, you know, socially isolated, and then I was going to live in a dorm. Um, And I think this is where sort of major, like, the, the, the big a big downward part happened there because, you know, I went from isolated to suddenly I'm surrounded by people. Mm -hmm. I had a great time my first semester for sure, but I still struggled with like basic things, maintaining eye contact. I still had, you know, symptoms flare up and things like that. But I would say overall that semester was a breath of fresh air up until finals week something happened and it wasn't just the stress of the tests. That wasn't an issue. I was acing things at that point. Something happened and it is the weirdest sensation to describe. I woke up one morning and it was like, my thoughts weren't connecting. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. It was probably some sort of break of some kind. Mm -hmm. And somewhere along that line, like I ended up, That's actually when I first started seeing a therapist, again, in my adult life. Mm -hmm. Um, Because that was wild. I didn't understand what was happening to me. Um,
2: Did the therapist ever say what that was?
1: No. We could only assume that it had something to do with, you know, the big changes I had been through in life. Mm -hmm. But she kind of put me on the path for recovery with my depression itself. Because we went through, there was a point, you know, it was weekly sessions for a long time. Um, we, there were a couple weeks where there was more than one session a week, things like maintaining eye contact. Like I do now fine, Mm -hmm. obviously, but back then I I couldn't like, especially I I couldn't with much anybody. So I would always be looking down while talking. I would always be like hiding in some way, shape or form, but over, over a few years while I was also in college and taking classes, she helped me to be able to behave in a way that is mm-hmm. human. <laughs>
2: right.
1: I actually have to step back just a little bit here and go a little further back in time. Um, but the invasive thoughts had pretty much permeated my mind since my te- teenage years. They are constant streaming, usually self-violence, self-violent thoughts, self-demeaning thoughts, and just general self-hatred constantly. I think I even mentioned before, like, it was... I, I, I'm not kidding when I say, like, three minutes couldn't go by without serious, like, thoughts of death or self-harm. And those symptoms continued while I was in college. During which time, while I was beginning to open up more, there was also the social learning, the social vulnerabilities I was getting. And, and the constant judging myself for my own screw-ups and social interaction. Mm -hmm. And, dare I say, there was almost an overcompensation to be silly, almost as a defense mechanism.
2: So how do you think that depressed people tend to view life?
1: I don't want to make a sweeping judgment of other people.
2: How do you view life?
1: I view life these days or then, when I was at my worst?
2: How about both?
1: Okay. At my worst, it was a thing that I would just tolerate until I died. And I know at the lowest I had decided, well, I'm gonna kill myself, let's have some fun anyway. Let's go out and have a little bit of fun before I do this. Which precipitated my attempt. And I would say, as far as now, I... My view on life is just that I exist. I mean, I I think there isn't much more that I need to think about anymore. I'm content with the fact that I exist. I'm content with life up until whenever it does inevitably end. There were so many times, like in past, past me when I was really down the rabbit hole, I just wanted to cease existence. In all forms. Um, I grew up in a Christian family, and I even recall praying to be unmade. And while it... The situation that I'm in now, even though it sounds almost nihilistic where I say I'm content to exist, that's a huge deal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm content with existence. I can experience happiness, I'm, you know? hmm
2: well, I mean, you, I, I think when I was listening earlier, yeah. um, you're a rapid cycler, so you can get depression every two weeks.
1: Approximately. Yeah, it can. So
2: it's, it's different when you have long periods of time without depression, when you have depression so regularly, so often it's mixed with the joy. The suffering and the joy, mm. It it's at the same time almost. So I totally understand what you're saying with just existing. You're just accepting yeah. both as it is, as it comes. Right. And and
1: while that sounds dark to some people, it's actually a really positive thing to me.
2: Mm-hmm. It's It's like a Buddhist philosophy, I yeah. think. Yeah. So what are some of the ways that you cope when the symptoms come on and things get bad?
1: When I'm really low, um, I would say the first and foremost thing is accepting that I'm in that state of mind instead of resisting it. Resisting it turns to judgment, turns to, well, more self-hate. Accepting it means that, okay, I know I'm going to get through this. I just have to ride it out. It'll be okay. I find that the most important things that i can do for myself is just trying to make sure and this is this is more preemptive than anything else like making sure i have food available that's super easy to do um i realize that's not coping in the moment but it's prep coping if that makes sense yeah or (laughs) i i recall reading on some forums about things other people do it's like get bananas and peanut butter and there you go Mm -hmm. (laughs) um beyond that I try to make sure that I have, like, because I know I'm going to be laying and, like, wallowing in my own thoughts. I've got to try to counter the particularly violent thoughts towards myself. I've got to straight-up call myself out when when it starts getting there and saying, hey, you don't need to feel that way about yourself. You know you're okay. You know you aren't this mental image you have of yourself. And so, in essence, I spend a lot of time Mentally <laughs> soothing myself by mm-hmm. talking myself down, like almost like I'm talking to a child at times. Mm-hmm.
2: so so you do meal prep and you do some structure mm-hmm. when you feel yourself getting really low. Um, you also you accept the thoughts, you do positive um, self-talk. Mm-hmm. You're, you're so in a state where you're just trying to soothe yourself and combat the thoughts that you really don't have the energy or the want to do like self-care. Correct. <laughs> so my question is, when you're not in those depressive weeks, are, what kind of self-care do you do when you're not depressed? Oh, when
1: I'm not depressed? Well, this is going to sound like such a, well, you know what? No, I mean, this is going to sound silly, but not silly. I actually clean my apartment. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) I'll actually do chores and stuff that I fell behind on. I, of course, do play a lot of games, which to me is self-care. I don't care what anybody says. Mm -hmm. Um, And because even when I'm not in those super lows, I still have those thoughts and things. It's a constant in my life, which leads me to really like things that are very narrative heavy, things that I can completely lose myself in. Mm -hmm. Books... Uh, Dungeons and Dragons, and of course heavy, uh, heavy narrative games. Mm-hmm. In those moments, I don't live my life anymore. I live the life of this character or something, and I don't have to deal with my own thoughts.
2: Right, this total immersion. Right. Well, what do you think are the strengths of depressed people? What are your strengths, um, despite your depression or because of your depression?
1: Thinking. <laughs> Thinking things through. Sometimes it leads to overthinking, but no, actually stopping and taking things slow. I think, and maybe, I I like to believe at least that along with depression becomes a level of awareness of how other people are feeling. Mm -hmm. Or, yeah, I think those would be some of the bigger strengths.
2: Do you believe that you will suffer depression for the rest of your life?
1: Yes, I do. I believe, you know, I'm, I'm 32 and I have had depression as far back as I can remember being a little kid. I have treatments that help and that's fine. That help is so welcomed, but I don't think it'll ever go away. I can't, whatever neurologically is wrong. I don't think it can ever truly be repaired. There's the genetic aspect, there's the learned aspect, and I can continuously improve on the learned behaviors and the learned feelings, but I don't think I can ever truly eradicate them.
2: Mm -hmm. So let's end on this question. Has having depression enhanced your life in any way?
1: The most important thing, honestly, is that it's made me appreciate small things. I don't need to feel like I'm constantly fighting upward. I don't need to feel like I have to constantly achieve. The little things that I find joy in, just appreciating the small joys, Mm -hmm. is probably, in a way, what I consider to be one of my best qualities. Um, Without going into too much depth, I've helped people to learn, to enjoy smaller things. And so, yeah. To not feel like I constantly have to be achieving, to, for a moment, just see a flower that I think is pretty and find enjoyment in just that moment of seeing it. That is how it's improved my life. I don't need to mentally be in the rat race that everybody's in.
2: Chris says that he is content with just existing, and he's more than fine with that. I would like to end the episode by highlighting one thing. Chris lives with depression, and according to him, will continue to do so for the rest of his life. What's impressive is how he survived those formative childhood and adolescent years to get to that better place of just existing. Due to his traumatic childhood consisting of extended periods of time where he was isolated and neglected without access to education, it is a true triumph of the human spirit of how he was able to survive and also motivate himself to learn not only how to learn to fit back into society or to fit into society but also educate himself to the point where he graduated with a degree in psychology and a minor in counseling and now he uses his lived experience and his education to help the clients he works with
0: and he's really good at it and he's also one of the the funniest people I know, if I were making a Mount Rushmore of my favorite co-workers, Chris would, have, uh, Chris would be like the Abraham Lincoln uh, of co-workers, <laughs> is what I'm trying to say. Thank you for listening. I am Matt Russell. That is Verna Mullins. We're the host. I also made the music for the episode. Chris Pfeiffer is executive producer. If you want to contact us, go to wgte.org slash mental gains.
2: We'll see you next time. Bye.
0: WGTE. Voices around us.
2: WGTE is supported in part by American Rescue Plan Act funds allocated by the City of Toledo and the Lucas County Commissioners and administered by the Arts Commission.